Bow, bow, bow. They call me Timmy. <laughs> Timmy. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everybody. Eric Berry. Hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm right in the middle of uh, Ruby Dev Summit, so if I duck out early, it's somebody else's fault. We also have a special guest, and that's David Richards. Hey there. Now, David, Eric, and I know you just kind of from the local community, but do you want to introduce yourself for everybody else who's not from Utah or hasn't worked with you before? Sure. I'm, I'm David Richards. Um, I've been writing software for a couple decades. Lots of that has been Ruby. And um, right now I'm building some fintech stuff and basically having a lot of fun. Nice. Now, Eric mentioned before the show we were talking about, you know, some of the aspects of writing software and being on teams and, you know, work situations and stuff like that. Um, I'm not quite sure where to start. It seemed like Eric might have had an idea or you might have had an idea of where you want to go first. Um, but I think this is part of the, you know, we talk a lot about the technology, which is easy because a lot of it's either, you know, it either works or it doesn't, right? But a lot of this other stuff, it's, oh, okay. So, well, crap, you know, people. So, so yeah. So I, where should we start? Where should we dive in first and and just talk about, you know, some of this you know, this process of making software and sausage making your crap. So one of the things I want to bring up before we before we delve too deep is I actually want to give a little bit more of an introduction to David. Okay. David is a fascinating individual. He is the most his mind is is just fascinating to listen to because so we went to lunch the other day and his mind is just going a hundred miles an hour about some of the deepest, most amazing thoughts. And I'll admit, I understood about 80% of what he said, but uh, I just want to put it out there that, that David is one of the most remarkable minds that I know. And I'm so glad to have you on this show. So part of the reason why we invited you on is because when we were talking, we have so we, you and I are in this, in this uh, Slack group where we, you know, all of our friends are in there. A bunch of our friends are in there. We talk about different aspects of, of, of developer life. Right. And one of the things that you brought up was a strong frustration of, of developer turnover. And so I, I kind of want to hear about that and, and, and bring up the conversation that we had on Slack and bring it more to light here. And what are your thoughts on developer turnover? How can we prevent that? How is it, um, how does it affect uh, the developer atmosphere? <laughs> so first of all, I need to tell anybody that's listening, I'm blushing. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> <It is> true. <laughs> I was going to say, last time I went to lunch with David, I think I understood about 50%. So I just <laughs> yeah. nodded in all the right places. I was giving myself more credit. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably that. I just don't make sense. That's probably the real truth. Uh, but yeah, the question of turnover is crazy. And it's bothering me more and more as, I, as I've been working on more and more projects. It's like, how can you justify a, an industry that churns through people or if instead of like resolving a conflict at work, we just quit <laughs> and go make $10,000 more at the next job. And, and that's just a really, um, I think it's a toxic environment uh, where we're not really um, able to, to get where we want to go. That's interesting that you bring that up because, I mean, it's been a thing for a while. I remember I got started, um, 
you know, I worked for Mosey for a year and a half and I ran their tech support team and then worked in QA for them. I didn't even do dev, um, at least not officially. And then, you know, I went to one company and then another and another and another. And I lasted about a year and a half in each of those places. And, and I thought, I, oh man, I'm weird. I've got this turnover and it's going to look bad on my resume. Nope. I wasn't weird at all. Yeah. Of course, now well, I've been know, out they, on my own for eight years. So the you know, different thing, yeah. but. It's well, crazy how st- normal it is. Yeah. You know, uh, but you know, I think a lot of companies, especially more startups, I'm sure there's some good ones out there, but they're almost like a, a startup succubus. They just kind of like suck the life and tea out of you. And I think that a lot of it's driven by, you know, the whole concept of we work hard, we like to play hard and try to make people fit into your kind of work or atmosphere. And you almost overwork people. And, you know, you say we're going to work 12 hour days for five days. Then we're going to let you have two days off. Then you're going to come in and do it again. And then, hey, tell you what, at the end of the summer, three months from now, we will take you guys out to a nice dinner. It's like, you know, so much uh, work, work, work. And then, hey, here's, you know, a jelly in the month club card. So, well, I think they can't, can't yeah. you solve the problem just with more ping pong tables and lunches? <laughs> and arcade machines and stuff, yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. That, that's why I go to work. It's for the ping pong. <laughs> so, well, there was this... <laughs> so it's like we're 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 trying to to pretend that 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 we're going to play our way out of this, right? That you know, it's just a bunch of boys playing. And that's probably another part of it too is it's a a guys club. But but you know, most of us want to build something and have something interesting to do and not ping pong our way out of out of out of our job. Oh, sure. No, I I think you're right. I think a lot of it just comes down to I mean, so let me back up for a minute. So the first job that I left um, that was a coding job, you know, I got laid off. Um, you know, I, I left the, I left Mosey. I already mentioned him, so I may as well just mention him by name. I left Mosey because effectively um, they just weren't treating me well. They didn't appreciate me anymore, and so I left. Um, you know, and I see that happen a lot of times too where they kind of start to take for granted that you're going to stick around. And then... Um, You've got basically, you know, situations where then later on, yeah, you get to the point where, um, you know, there's better money or, you know, you get laid off because, well, you know, all of our Ruby clients left. And then six months later, they come crawling back to you going, we really need Ruby guys. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, um, no, Uh, you know, but just stuff like that. You know, I, I had a couple of other jobs where, you know, again, my boss was just really rough to work for. And they just kind of took for granted that you'd stick around because they're paying you a bunch of money. And yeah, you know, it was, well, I want to make a difference or I want to communicate, you know, I want to grow, you know, and, and you don't get the opportunities that you're really looking for, for your work to matter to you the way that you want it to. And so, yeah, you move on. Yeah. And I think you kind of hit a nail there, Chuck, where people want to feel like they're doing something that matters. And a lot of times, you know, you might be developing software that helps reduce crime or identifies potential crime or whatever. You know, I worked for that company. I did. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But, you know, my point is like people, if they don't have a sense of belonging or what they're doing matters, then they're going to move on to something else where they Mm -hmm. feel like they're making a difference, either within the company or just bettering people's lives or something like that. And I think a lot of people might keep moving on, always trying to fill this hunger for making a difference in the world because they really don't know themselves yet. They haven't mm-hmm. really gone on this uh, walkabout to find out who they are and what they can do to make a difference. So is that the company's problem then or is that the employee's problem? I think it's a bit of both. I think it's more on the employee to really, you know, uh, a company's not going to show you who you are. I think that's something that you should have kind of gone through in more of your adolescent years and college or high school or whatever to really find oneself and then, uh, you know, find something that you're passionate, passionate about. That's an interesting thought that the stick a bit, sticky ability of a job 
is a factor of both salary and maybe benefits, but also all of those things could be worse if the cause is right or if it matches the personality properly. I think mm-hmm. that's a, that's actually a really good case. Now, I had two job offers from 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 different companies, and I chose one of them because it was more in an industry that I wanted to be in, and it would sounded funner to me. Uh, but in and uh, you know, uh, apples and apples, it was exactly the same. But that was the only reason I went that way versus the other. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I've I've started to explain to people um, sometimes when I try to explain who am I, you know, as a software developer, I'll, I'll say I'm an emotional developer. And I think this touches on what you guys are talking about, that I have to care about the project. And, and maybe it's because I've been in so many of these nonsensical work cycles where I'm working all the hours and and just killing myself for a project. But so that's a different problem. But but still, I have to care about the problem and actually connect to it somehow for me to to feel like I'm really getting creative and going going the distance with it. I have to wonder too a little bit though because you know I've, I've talked to people in my parents and grandparents generation and a lot of them I mean they just went and got a job and you know it was it was a nine to five thing that essentially paid the bills and you know it wasn't really an option for them to even care about whether or not they liked or hated their job. And so I wonder if this is a, an industry thing or a generational thing or, you know, because there's so much demand. I mean, I could probably wind up in a company that does more or less whatever I wanted it to. Right. Um, if I look hard enough and, and, you know, make the right connections in those companies. And so, you know, is, is this just a position we're in because of where the software industry is? Or is this a position we're in because, you know what, um, work has become a different thing? And, you know, this is kind of an intra-company problem, too, because developers are more like this than maybe somebody that's working uh, customer support or other mm-hmm. things. We're looking and we, we kind of get a lot more benefits and a lot more freedom than almost anybody else in the company. So do you think that it is a generational thing from, you know, maybe too many participation trophies handed out when we were younger or uh, something like that where we have forced companies to change the way they do things because of the mindset that we have today of either whether it's being entitled or expecting to be praised or expecting to be I don't know the word, uh, cared for, you know, by the company that we're expecting these things and we are in such demand that if you don't give it to us, then there's a hundred other companies out there that will. So I asked the question, but I honestly don't think so. I think it's much more that the definition of work has changed. And so the way that we look at what we go and spend our day doing is just different. Like, I don't think it's an entitlement issue. I think it's just a mindset issue. And, uh, you know, I, I, really hesitate to put it into terms that say that people have this mentality that they just deserve whatever it is that they, you know, that makes a great job. But at the same time, you know, we're looking at work for a different kind of fulfillment than I think our parents did. So I think it is a little bit more of a generational thing. You know, there's this really interesting book. Uh, Peter Drucker wrote it, I think in the eighties or nineties, but he's talking to managers, um, that, came up in the 50s and 60s. And he coined the term um, knowledge worker. And he was trying to describe what we're talking about, which he wasn't trying, but he was explaining that um, here, are, it's different. If if most of the value is between our ears, we have to find ways to allow that to work differently. And, and I think it's still hard though. I, I've heard resentment from salespeople. I've heard resentment from executives and, and non-technical managers that they don't like the amount of autonomy and um, deference given uh, to some of the knowledge workers in the business. I can see that. I mean, I worked at a company, you know, I talked about Mosey. I ran support. And yeah, the developers were king over there. That that seems to be a commonplace. But but also, it seems like the, the size of the company plays a factor in that. You know, the smaller the company um, tends mm-hmm. to do a lot more a smaller company tends to be very different than yes. than larger companies. David, do you have any insight on that? I think it more comes down to the upper leadership. 
So if the upper leadership, if they come from a sales background, I think you will naturally see that flow through that the salespeople are treated more like the gods of the company. Whereas if you have a CEO or someone high up that is a developer or they have just been in love with technology and uh, maybe does programming on the side just for fun, then you see the developers or the R&D department take a higher pedestal in the company. That squares with my experience. And it might be also, I'm looking at how, what we think we can get from technology, right? We're, we're expecting to win all the marvels with our tech and it's almost religious or ideological how we're going to go all in and maybe it needs to balance sometimes back and forth, but we, we get a lot of autonomy for these um, magical people that are going to come and make all the, the money flow into the company. And, and, and since that's not always realistic, that might also cause some of the problems we have in, in, in companies where we just have to get real too. So what's the difference that you guys find being an older developer in today's world versus some of the younger developers that, that the experience between the two and expectations of the two? Well, what do you define as young? And old. <laughs> well, I think we're. So I, I think we're so, old. <laughs> all right, so I went to a. Uh, I went to a, um, a get the GitHub Universe conference, and and we went out to. I got invited to um, this group one night. We went out to this bar and, and hung out, and there was um, it was an iOS developer group. It's basically the the San Francisco version of meetups here in Utah, and. Um, we're sitting around and I'm talking, I'm talking to these guys, meeting them. And one of the guys on the end looks very, very young. And I said, you know, I said, how old are you? He said, well, I was born in 95. I'm like, oh my gosh, I graduated high school in 95. Oh, wow. So, so I would consider old. him a developer. Right? Yes. So oh. did you wear like a Mr. Rogers sweater to that or? <laughs> <laughs> it was so sad. It, it made me <laughs> so old. I'm so, asking a lot of leading questions here for David because these are conversations we had before and you've offered so much insight. So I kind of want to pin up those questions here as well. <laughs> well, you know, I, I get teased too for my dad jokes at the office. I, <laughs> and I'm always catching myself talking about, yeah, back in my day, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, pretty silly sometimes when I think about it. But, you know, one difference I do see um, with older developers is um, – we um, we have enough experience that ten- we tend to be pretty confident when we go to solve a problem, but that can be like problematic too, right? Because we're just going to solve the next problem like we did the last one, and so some of that creativity or the sweat that we would have to to finish something, like I found that I don't do that as much. Like I don't really sweat the small stuff. I just oh yeah, you know it's it's one of these, it's one of these, it's one of these. Let's put that together. And, and I'm, I'm pretty confident, but it's not necessarily my my best work all the time. So that's, that's at least one difference, I think. I, I last night I, I had a, a guy over who I was I was going to intern. Great guy. Uh, I was going to intern him for Code Sponsor. We we went through some projects together and some some ideas, and and I realized that uh, he's he's really really green, really really fresh. And as I'm explaining things to him, I said, well you got to look at every failure as, as a page in a book, right? Like all of us, we're all older. I mean, I think, um, we're, we're all old. I think Dave, you're the only one that looks young, but I think you're still somewhat old. Um, <laughs> oh, and it's changing uh, quickly with my kids, man. They, they're sucking the life out of me. <laughs> so as we go through, we, we take these, we, we, we basically take all, all of our failures as a badge and we put them in this book and this book gets bigger and bigger and eventually it looks like a, you know, a Webster's dictionary, right? But that book, I'm so proud of that book because that's, ex- those failures, those pages of failures that we have are exactly why the senior developers, or I shouldn't say senior, the uh, senior as an age developer, senior developers, meaning they've been around a while and they have failed a ton, right? They have failed a ton. Those those developers are going to approach problems a little bit differently, um, but it's always a question of like uh, how how do you the question is where's the value difference to to businesses right it all comes back to the dollar mm-hmm. where's the value for a business to say you know I can pay for three or two or three juniors or mids for the price of one senior guy and where's yeah. that value difference. You know, I've been in conversations with people where they've asked, 
absolutely ask that of us, <laughs> justify your salary. And for the same reason, and the best I could do is like, well, I've, I've been in the hole before. I know how to get out of it. Um, these other guys, we'll, we'll train them up. We'll, we'll get them there, um, for you. But for now, let's, let's use us. Let's use people that have already been in the hole once or 10 times. Yeah. I think it's interesting too. I mean, I've talked to some companies where, you know, we start talking about what they need and, I mean, 99.9% of the stuff they need is basically form input and displaying data. And so it's, yeah, you know, you probably don't need a senior guy, right? You can probably get by with a mid-level guy. And then, you know, as long as you have a senior guy, get involved periodically to fix, you know, some of the, you know, some of the things that the mid-level guy just isn't going to see. He's not going to get you so deep into the hole that you can't get back out. And then I've seen other companies that they don't want to hire that senior guy. And so they go with the junior mid-level guy. And it turns out that they've got some pretty gnarly problems they're trying to solve. And so what they wind up with is they wind up with a mid-level guy who's drowning because he doesn't know how to solve those issues. And so he solves it wrong the first two or three times he does it. And he learns every time. And that's, that's a positive thing. But it's costing the company time and money for him to figure this stuff out or her to figure this stuff out because... Ultimately, it's a tricky problem, and you probably have a senior person out there with the right kind of experience that's going to go, that's painful, that's painful, that's painful, and that's the right way to do it. And then they can just solve the problem. And so I think it really boils down to what the company needs. It's it's not a cut and dried, oh, yeah, definitely this guy and not uh, that guy. How do you find developers? Like how do how do you because you don't want to not bring in anybody but seniors right so you want right. to have a full array of developers and skill levels but how do you find the right can you people? say that again for some of the companies that call me up and ask me how to find seniors <laughs> <laughs> right well let's talk about it uh, what are, what are some things that you guys have done now now of course the whiteboard the whiteboard issues is, uh, doing whiteboard interviews is like the worst possible thing that you can do to somebody well I think the take home code tests are pretty bad too. Those rank up there is pretty lame. That depends. I I have mixed feelings about that. The whiteboard, if I put you on a whiteboard, it's because I don't like you and you're not going to get hired. I'm trying to scare you away because I I think that's (laughs) brutal. I think it's unfair and nobody actually codes in a black box like that. But like the take home thing, a lot of times what that is, is I've given you a big problem and I want to see how you deal with something that you probably can't finish in a, with a reasonable amount of effort in the time I've given you, right? I'm trying to find out what, what kind of metal you have much more than what kind of coding chops you have, you know? And, and I've seen people, you know, they basically go home and after, after a couple of days, they come back with a finished product and they haven't slept for a week. And if that's well, what I'm looking for, then, you know, then, then fine. doing it wrong. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, more than one person has applied for the job. You can find other people's GitHub repo and then just copy their work, improve it, and submit it. And <laughs> then you get the job. That's how it works, right? Or is that not how you're supposed to do it? <laughs> you know, point, points for ingenuity for doing that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think for me, it, it's usually much more about, you know, how much work is it going to be to bring you up to the speed I need you at? And am I going to hate myself for spending that much time with you? In other words, are you, are you the kind of person that I want to spend my afternoon with every day? You know, I've, I've been turning on, on the other side of that, that equation. I've been turning that around lately. I, I've been getting, you know, a lot of, I've been rolling my eyes a lot about all these people that want to, to stick me in the, the, the cog they have. They want me to be a cog in their wheel. And it's like, you know what, that, isn't going to work for me. I'm not going to just go take another job at this point in my career. So what I've been starting to answer back with is, look, um, yeah, I could probably do that job, but why don't I just come and teach your developer something? We'll go over lunch. We'll do a brown bag lunch. Let me teach you guys something. And you'll get to know who I am and how I think. And I'm going to get to know who you are and how you think. And we're going to have an authentic relationship. And maybe we'll talk about jobs and, and how to work together later. But let's start on the right foot. That's how I've started doing it. And it's been a, an interesting experience doing things that way instead of uh, just, you know, allowing people to interview me and give me tasks and try to prove me or disprove me. Yeah, but if that's the dynamic that I need you to fill on my team, then that's exactly how I want to interview you. 
if that makes sense, right? If I need you to be the senior guy and to make some of those senior decisions and to help my juniors and mids level up, then definitely, you know, come into a brown bag lunch because that's way more valuable to me than you sitting down and actually writing code. I, I need your experience to make sure we're heading in the right direction on some of this other stuff code related. But, you know, for a lot of the other stuff, yeah, it's okay. Well, you know, we need you to, you know, raise the overall caliber of the team. And you're probably going to wind up doing a lot more of that through your relationships with the other programmers than with any code you actually write. As a developer, you love building things that are fun and that matter. Me too. Do you want to add authentication to yet another app? Do you want to stay updated with all the security issues and patch them? Why not leave it to the experts? Auth0 is the easiest and fastest way to implement real-world authentication and authorization architectures into your apps and APIs. Allow your users to log in with either regular username and password, social identity providers like Facebook and Twitter, or enterprise identity providers like Active Directory, Office 365, etc. Or without passwords, with an email login like Slack or phone login like WhatsApp. Getting started is very easy. Add authentication to your Ruby app or Rails app, Sinatra, and others in less than 10 minutes by writing only a few lines of code. No credit card required. Get the free plan or try the enterprise plan for 21 days at auth0.io slash rubyrogues. That's the number zero in Auth0. Auth0 is trusted by developers at Atlassian, Mozilla, Bluetooth, Optimizely, Financial Times, and The Wall Street Journal. Try it out at auth0.io slash rubyrogues. Remember, that's the number zero in Auth0. And get back time building core features. Yeah. And I love that too, because it can be an authentic, you know, you know what you want. I know what I can do. Is it a good fit? Mm-hmm. If I was a junior developer, I probably wouldn't want to come in and do a brown bag. You know, I'd probably want to just give me something on the whiteboard. Hopefully I can get through it real quick. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but I like that idea that there should be an authentic start, you know, like, oh, I, mm-hmm. I get it. I get what you're really after. Yeah. But the flip side of that is, is that if I'm a company and I know that I just need some wizard to come in and do some machine learning, you know, blah, 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 that, you know, it's just going to take a certain level of expertise in the problems that I have, then yeah, I'm going to treat you like I treat the juniors. I'm just going to grill you on that particular area of expertise instead of in programming in general. That's uh, probably pretty good too. And I, you know, I, <laughs> specifically with machine learning and data science, I think that, uh, that would be a step up. You know, it'd be wonderful to see more and more recruiters and hiring managers that know what they want. Because I think... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but lost. they're copying each other's uh, job applicant, job job postings. You know, they don't know what they want yet. You, you want to get down to the want. core of things. That's it. They don't know what they want. They have no idea. I mean, I have yeah. met a grand total of probably two hiring managers that ever had a clue what they wanted. And they, it's probably like the the least enjoyable part of managing, right? You got to go hire somebody. So we're yeah. going to delegate that to the the poor schmuck that. We can give that to. We don't want to do that if we can get away with it. Maybe we have to hire, mm-hmm. you know, interview our own hires. But it's it's definitely not a good connection between what they're asking for and what they need. Well, the the issue is, and and I can tell you this because I've seen so many uh, managers make this mistake, is that what they do is they're looking at the velocity and they're looking at the pile of work they have to get done, and they realize they're not getting it done fast enough. And so all they know is they need another pair of hands. And so what they do is they kind of put down the technologies that they're using and throw that on a job board because this is the stuff that we need you to do. And when it comes right down to it, you know, if they just took another half hour and really sat down and said, okay, you know, what's missing in this dynamic? How can we raise the level of the entire team by making a strategic hire? They would do so much better for themselves. But then you get a whole bunch of people who come in and they're all qualified to do those technologies and they don't actually know what they want even though you have all these options that meet your qualification list. And there's another disconnect between, oh, we just don't have the velocity we need. We're just going to add people mm-hmm. and, and not really getting into the system of how are we building our software and could we plug another person in? How long is it going to take us to get them trained up? You know, is this a reasonable way to go? Yeah, Fred Brooks had a few things to say about that, didn't he? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I've been on teams like that too, where, where they'll double the team size Mm -hmm. because they've got to hit this deadline. It's like, you know, it's not going to work and it doesn't. And everybody puts in heroic hours and it doesn't create heroic results usually. What's the solution there? 
<laughs> Brad, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, we got point fingers and everything, but let's talk solutions. <laughs> well, I think, I think honestly, truly, the solution is um, being able to prioritize and say, look, this stuff will work end to end. It's not going to be pretty, but it's pragmatic and it's delivered, and we're going to come back later with better and more. In other words, if I can get you end to end, give you working software that you can actually start to sell or use or give me feedback on at least then i can get down to realistic chunks of code to deliver Mm -hmm. around that that tension line that that delivered code think about the implications that has on a developer as well in the morale where you bring on a bunch of developers all of a sudden you're spending the next month on ramping them, getting them up to speed. Now we've got four thing, you know, four hands in the same code, all this stuff. Where if you could scale back and say, you know what, we're going to speed the process up, but we're going to speed the process up by selective exclusion, right? We're going to exclude all of the things that don't matter, like for example, UI might not be as important initially, um, and focus on the things that do matter, and then have a shorter delivery uh, a timeline. Man, the developers coming out there feeling like a champion. They're more loyal to the company. They're more loyal to the product they're, mm-hmm. they're building. And they're just flat out happier. Yeah. And that's, I think, and I've seen that happen um, both ways. Um, but uh, you, I think you all know Nate Hopkins. Uh, um, mm-hmm. And Nate, is a, this is like his thing. He is like, I will deliver, but I will deliver I will negotiate it down to something that I can deliver within a reasonable amount of time and still have it be the highest possible quality I'm able to create. And that's where true developer happiness comes from uh, when I see him and when I've seen in my experience. Yeah, I think I think you've got it right there. And then where we're talking about the hiring is, you know, what do we eventually want to be able to deliver, right? What kind of a team do we want to have? And then you can start thinking about the hires in terms of that instead of in terms of, Ooh, I need to grind a whole bunch more stuff here in the next month or two, so I need another pair of hands. It's let's get this down to what's reasonable, and then let's start talking about what kind of a team we want and who we're missing. And that really gets the conversation tied to things people value. I mean, mm-hmm. if 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 the say the managers the managers or the ex- executives don't really fully understand everything, but they're getting closer to it, they can value it because yep. they're they're hearing the stories, they're involved. It actually boost morale as well. It creates trust that we're, we're working on the same problem together. And I think something else that's really important for the team is really the synergy between the team members. Mm-hmm. You know, I was reading this article. It was by Jonathan Soloranzo Hamilton, and it was called, We Fired Our Top Talent, Best Decision We Ever Made. <laughs> uh, I'm going to like it already. uh, He just uh, published it. I'll post a link. And that's actually one of my picks for today. But uh, the premise of the article is that there's this developer who's there and he is not friendly to work with, even though he is their most top developer, uh, their best talent in the company. No one could work with his code. It was too unreadable because maybe this guy was too much of a genius or whatever, but he wouldn't explain it or help anyone else out. So a lot of the issues just kept piling and piling up on him, and he wouldn't work with anyone. So that's not a good way to structure your company. So typically when I'm interviewing people, I find people that, not necessarily that I'm going to be uh, BFFs with, but people that I like, people that I can see myself working with day in, day out, people who are humble, people who can humbly say, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm really interested. Could you explain it to me? You know, stuff that where people will want to work with you and I will want to work with them. And even if they're not the talent level that I'm looking for, you can always get to that. But you can't get to a point where you like working with someone if you think that they're an a-hole right out of the box. Yeah. Can I ask a question related to that, though? Because um, a lot of us have the tendency to want to hire people that we like working with, right? Um, But then a lot of times what winds up happening is I wind up hiring somebody that looks and sounds a lot like me, right? 
So I find somebody that, that thinks the way that I do or um, likes to work on the same kinds of projects or solves problems in the same way that I do. And what I really need is I need somebody to challenge the way that I think. And so how do you make sure that you're getting somebody that you can work with who's going to call you out on your garbage when you write garbage? Okay, so I would never hire myself. I would hate working with myself. <laughs> <laughs> we all think but, that, but we all have that bias, right? Yeah, yeah. So when I look for someone to hire, I look for someone who is passionate about development. You know, it's something they want to be there. It's not a job for them. It's not an occupation, but it's something that they love. And them getting paid for it, yeah, sure, that's important, but that's just a very nice perk. But I look for someone who has the ability to think outside of the box. You know, I have interview questions that I've designed to test someone's way of thinking by engaging in conversation. And if they're able to kind of work through those and not work through to get the right answer, but work through them so I can see how they think, then that's going to show me a lot more of their potential five years from now than how I feel about them today. Because mm -hmm. capacity for growth is important. Yeah. If they're going to be the same person five years from now, then that's not a good hire because they're not growing and learning. I like that a lot as well. I, I, I try to imagine how are they thinking and and um, where are they going with this? Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll work with people and um, they just want the job. They want to be right. And they have already stagnated before they got to me. Mm -hmm. And um, and some of these people are junior developers. It's just like, oh, yeah, they heard the dollar signs. You know, they, the dollar signs were calling to them. And they don't <laughs> have a real passion for it, right? <laughs> and they just want to be counted. You know, I did my – I paid my dues, so you should give me a job. Instead of, no, you know, I really would love it. I would love to put my name on a project like this. Could What else could we do? And 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 being willing to be engaged and and caring um, to me means a lot because then we're going to work out problems together. We're going to be creative. We're going to think about it differently. Mm -hmm. So how do you measure that? Not fairly. I know that. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, right? We're talking about a lot of these issues and we're talking about a lot of the things that we like or look for, but I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard to know exactly how this all comes together. It It is. And, and one thing I've noticed is I've worked with people that are older getting into to tech or, or a lot of women in tech. And I, I notice only after I've engaged in the conversations, how fresh they're thinking, how mm -hmm. much they add, how different it can be. And it's like, I don't even realize the value is missing until I've had that conversation. So, I mean, it's almost like we should play some sort of bingo or dartboard game to say, look, look, let me have a conversation with somebody that that would have a completely different perspective for a while and see what what we can do with that. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting and I've definitely seen that too, you know, from people from all walks of life. And the the thing that's really tricky I've found with hiring anyway is that they come in and you essentially hold all the cards, right? Especially if they're new. And so they don't really want to challenge you. They don't really want to push the boundaries. And it's it's a little bit unfortunate because that's exactly what I'm usually looking for, right? Is, you know what, uh, tell me where I'm wrong. You know, tell me where there's another solution I'm not seeing. And, you know, they don't want to rock the boat because they want me to like them. Well, that's a good fast track way for me not to like you if you don't <laughs> call me out what I make. I'm, I'm serious. No, like, I agree. Uh, and, you know, maybe you can... Just be honest with them up front. Like, hey, look, I don't know everything and I want you to call me out on something. Mm -hmm. Like, I need you to call me out when I've messed something up because I want to learn more. And part of the reason why you're on this team is so that we can sharpen each other's iron. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've worked with somebody who um, he was very um, – he knew what he wanted and he had a very strong opinion and he and I had gone the rounds. I could tell him exactly what I thought. I wasn't intimidated at all by this guy. And it turns out I was the only guy that could do that with him. 
and everybody else is intimidated. And, and, and so this person, um, it didn't work well. He needed more people that could just be themselves around him. And eventually, you know, it was, you know, people have talked, you know, he's, he's gone on and done. He, he, he went after he moved on and did other things. People said, yeah, you know, I really didn't like so-and-so and, um, like, well, why? It's like, well, I always felt like, like I couldn't tell him what was going on. So well, why didn't you? <laughs> he's like the most patient person in the world, but but I think that that dynamic has to exist, whatever the reason it was missing that one time, you know, you've got to have that. So everybody, everybody's voice can, can at least be heard. So going back to the beginning of the conversation, then if we can solve all, a lot of these things, if we can bring them back so that it's, Hey, look, our work's fulfilling, you know, we're working with people who challenge our thinking, but at the same time are people that we like spending time with. And, you know, our, our, we're all learning and growing together. Does that change the dynamic so that people stay in jobs longer? I think so. Uh, I don't know if that's fair to say that, but every time I talk to people leaving, it's usually about that kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know, that they, they don't like their, their manager. They, they don't feel like they're heard. So these things are important. I don't know if that's the, the catalyst where everything went wrong, but, um, but definitely, if that's missing, that's a pretty good indication that they're they're going to leave um, pretty quickly. Um, I also think there's um, maybe I'm a little bit unfair in going here, but there's maybe three motivations we have: we want power, pleasure, or or meaning in life. And and if we're not getting that from our job, you know, some people actually really need the job title. I've worked with somebody who was smart, but he wanted the job title more than anything, you know. And I actually. Uh, gave him mine. It's like, hey, you can have my job title. I want to work on the tech. You could be manager. And it was awesome. And he was so happy <laughs> that he could have this and put it on his resume. And I'm like, I don't care. I just, for me, I just want to see that we get this project done and what can I do to, to, to take care of it. And um, so I, I don't know, understanding how people are motivated so that they stay involved is, is probably a pretty good thing to do too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, I, you know, if people don't have that sense of purpose or meaning or if they don't feel valued or if they don't feel trusted or if they can't trust the other members on the team, it's a they're going to leave. It's just a matter of time. So uh, you have to have, you know, just those core essence of what it means to be on a team. And if anything's missing, it's just a matter of time before the team falls apart or members are replaced or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, money does speak. If someone else comes and says, hey, we're going to quadruple your salary. Here's a contract and whatever. You know, I'm sorry, money talks too. But um, that aside, I think it's really the dynamic of the team and how that person feels they fit in. You know, that's really interesting, too, because I've seen the stress of somebody after they got that offer. Of, I'm going to quadruple your income and it's going to be great. And they liked their team. And now they're in this stressful moment of they don't actually want to leave. But the only rational decision is to move on. And um, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But that's a really interesting dynamic, because when the team's going well, I've seen people leave good teams for the money. Um, because it was so incredibly better and, um, but that's a lot of stress trying to decide, okay, am I going to go now? And I, you know, it's almost like, oh, I'm going to dream for a minute. Oh, what it would life be like if I were over on this train? They've got more ping pong tables. You know? <laughs> <laughs> am I going to enjoy that more? Two games at once, man. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and then at the end of the day, they got to go through this really stressful decision of, okay, I've got to really uproot my life for a bit. And am I going to do that? I yeah. see. I see the money thing come in much more often, I think, with newer folks where the, you know, people hire them as a junior, they get a year or two's worth of experience, and all of a sudden they're worth way more on the market than what the company's paying them. So do you avoid that issue altogether by compensating them early, or do you match it when it comes up? Or, you know, and then, and then it's like, well, if we match them every time they get a better offer, then they're just going to keep getting better offers. But is that necessarily a wrong way of thinking? I, I don't know. I'm, I, I read... Recently, I think in the last month, maybe two months, DHH was writing about how they handle that over at um, Basecamp. And he was saying, yep, we just 
hire a company. They figure out what the salary should be. We base it on Chicago salaries. They can live anywhere they want to be. And I think they adjust it quarterly, maybe annually, but it's an automated thing. They just didn't have to worry about salary. They're going to hmm. get market price. And it was just very straightforward. So there was no reason to leave the job because salaries are going up. And if salaries went down, they didn't reduce salary. You know, So right. if, if there was a downturn in the economy, they're not going to lose their, their salary. So you don't have to go ask for a raise. You don't have to go play all the games of, hey, look how much more valuable I am or whatever. Oh, and I, 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 I hate those conversations. I remember going oh, into them fun. and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> my hands are sweating. And, yeah. and I end up, even if they give me what I asked for, I resent the boss. I do. Inside of me, I just resent that I had to go beg for money. It's like, hey, I've got a case. I think it's a real case, and I had to bring it up. Why didn't you bring it up? It was so embarrassing for me to have to ask for money, and and yet it's fair. I'm just asking for somebody to be fair. And I, you know, that happened a lot more in the beginning of my career, where I would go and say, wait a minute. <laughs> but I think yeah. I I would wait for three, four, five days and just stewing over. Am I going to go talk? Do I dare talk to them about how much I should get paid? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and you know. I love transparency in companies. You know, there's a company, GitLab, they are a version control uh, company out there, and they are so transparent in so many things that they do. And one of the things is their compensation. You know, they give you a little calculator and say, hey, you know, fill this out. How do you fit in? And here's what your salary is going to be. You know, there is no, well, what did you make at your previous employer crap? It's all transparent. So I really like that about them. Yep. All right. Well, I have a hard stop because I'm putting on Ruby Dev Summit. Um, so I'm going to push us over to Picks. And uh, yeah, we've got about five minutes, so we got to make it fast. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere. Available from any device uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Dave, do you have some picks for us? Uh, Dave Kimura. Yeah, sure. So my first pick is the blog article, the We Fired Our Top Talent, Best Decision We Ever Made. And we'll have a link to that. And my second one is a gem called Simple Cub. And it's a gem that just shows you your test coverage on the code that you have. And it's interactive, so it will actually allow you to see which lines of code are missing uh, test coverage. So it's really helpful, especially if you're working on a legacy application that you need to go back and add tests to. Nice. Eric, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, a couple of picks. One of them is um, one of the uh, open source heroes out there. His uh, his name is Chad Whitaker. And he he stepped down last week. And I just think he's a fantastic individual. He's de He's dedicated eight years of his life to sustaining open source. So um, I, I want to pick him and and Gratipay. I think that he's done an amazing job. Um, also, um, uh, GitHub. Uh, I was at the uh, Git, uh, GitHub Universe Conference last week. Went over and visited their office. Now, you you want to talk about a place where you never want to quit? That's the place. Um, <laughs> it is. They've got secret rooms, and they've. I mean, it's just the app. They they have a, a, a mantra of no no meetings, right? Mm -hmm. And they have one room, which is like an Oval Office. And it's they call it the situation room because anytime there's a meeting, it's it, it better be a situation. And so anyway, I thought that was uh, the people. They were very gracious in giving us a tour. They gave us like the, the insider tour, and uh, I thought it was wonderful. So I picked them as well. 
Awesome. I'm going to jump in with a few picks. Now, I've been heads down coding. It's Eric's fault uh, for the last about week and a half. And um, anyway, I've been having just a terrific time. It's kind of funny because, you know, it started out as a stressful thing. And I've been, I've been having a total ball writing all this code. Um, but anyway, so uh, I'm going to just uh, jump in with a, a few picks here. Um, one of them, and I mean, these gems have been around for a while, but I've just been really happy with them. Um, I just implemented stuff with Carrier Wave and Fog, and it was super, super easy. It was so nice. So, uh, you know, uh, and Mini Magic. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. And uh, a lot of the development I've been doing has been with the Bash on Ubuntu that comes in Windows 10. And so I'm going to pick that as well, just because it's it's been really, really handy. Um, I've been using Visual Studio Code to write a lot of the code, and the extension has issues. Um, we did an episode on it a, a while back, um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of nice. So I'm going to pick that as well. Um, and then I also found an article on how to deploy with Puma and Nginx, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. David, do you have some picks for us? I do. I've got two. Uh, the first one is Holy the Powerful Accountable. It's about these little data projects that uh, people did to figure out what's going on. It's getting back to the root of what people are passionate about. And uh, the other one is uh, Machine Learning Mastery. Uh, I think Jason Brownlee is doing this amazing job of making developers, regular developers, effective by just these little tiny snippets of, of information. You can learn a huge amount if, if, you, if you take it on a little bit at a time. So he's doing a great job teaching over there. Awesome. Nice. If people want to follow you on GitHub or Twitter or if you have a blog or anywhere else where you post your amazing, brilliant thoughts, as Eric would put them, um, what, what, what do you, where, where, do, where do people go? Uh, get Data Chops is the best place for me right now. Um, everything else is from there. So get Data Chops is where I, I try to teach people things. Awesome. All right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, and we will catch you all next week. All right, talk to you all later. Yep, bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.